Hello and welcome to The Grove. Today we'll be looking at the complete timeline of Targon. To understand Targon, we actually need to go back to the first breath of creation, because that is when Aurelian's soul was born. For eons, he roamed the celestial realm, seeking to fill this canvas of incalculable breath with marvels which delight all who witness them. Much later, around one of the first stars he had created, he discovered a world not made by him orbiting it. The other aspects who seemed unusually invested in it implored him to come closer. There was life here, magic, and a fledgling civilization that cried out for guidance. Flattered, Aurelian's soul descended in the form of a dragon from the stars. The Targonians named him for the sun he had gifted them, and the aspects commanded them to offer something in return. The mortals climbed to the peak of their tallest mountain and presented him with a splendorous crown, crafted with careful and cunning magic and etched with the inscrutable patterns of the celestial realm. But it was no gift at all. The crown clamped in place too tightly to remove, and his knowledge of the sun began to drain through it, to be examined by mortals. Worse still, he was hurled back into the heavens and prevented from getting any closer to the world. Soon after, the aspects of Targon set the mortals to construct a great sun disk of Shurama. With this, they channeled the celestial power to raise up immortal god warriors for some future conflict. Since its inception, Shurama has had deep political and social ties with both Mount Targon and the Celestials. The knowledge of how to create the first ascended, the blueprints on how to create the sun disk, and the means to revert ascension was given to them by the Targonians. At one point, Targon became a nation-state of the Great Empire. The Targonian aspects even aided the Empire in the war against the Void after the fall of Akathia. Sometime after the Empire was destroyed, the nation collapsed, and Targon once more withdrew. Conflicts arose between the two religious organizations of the region of Targon, the Solari who venerated the aspect of the sun and the Lunari who venerated the aspect of the moon. The Solari defeated the Lunari and became the dominant group while condemning the Lunari as heretics, hunting them down and destroying any evidence of their existence. The surviving Lunari fled into hiding. Diana, an outcast among the Solari acolytes who had always questioned their belief that the sun is the only source of light, decides to ascend the mountain. Her concerned friend Leona followed her to the peak, where they were chosen as mortal hosts of the aspect of the sun, Leona, and the moon, Diana. Frustrated with each other's choices on how to use their power, Diana almost kills Leona. Fearful of losing herself to the aspect's power, Diana flees down the mountain to confront the Solari priests. They condemn her as a heretic, enraging Diana and the aspect within, and she kills many priests and their guardians. She then flees, hoping to find her purpose. Meanwhile, Leona swears to find Diana, to preserve the dominance of the Solari, but also to help her keep her aspect under control. A few years later, the Rakor warriors Atreus and his friend, Pylos climbed Mount Targon after Leona denies their pleas to fight the invading barbarians. Atreus is the only one who survives the climb, becoming one with the aspect of war, Pantheon. However, it judges him unworthy to fulfill its purpose and takes control of his body, relegating Atreus to the back of his own mind. Soon after came the next great war, later known as the Darken War. Darken are corrupted ascended god warriors who were traumatized by the horrors of the Void War, as well as self-infliction by the use of blood magic. Eventually Pantheon was goaded into battle by the Darken, and against all expectations, the Darken Atroxus' blade kills Pantheon with a shattering blow, and stars in the sky fade as he dies. Atreus awakens, impaled upon Atroxus' blade, and spits in the Darken's face. Atrox leaves the man to die, but Atreus goes on to be nursed back to health by Pylos' widow, Lula. He realizes that Atrox had sent the barbarians to Targon, and that mortals are seen as mere pawns in the games of higher powers. Atreus swears to oppose the greater powers threatening the world as the Pantheon reborn. Misha, host of the Aspect of Twilight, gives the mortals the knowledge to trap the Darken in their weapons, while the newly reborn Aspect of War unites many in fighting back. 
The Darken threats are eventually neutralized, and currently, all known Darken have been imprisoned in weapons, unable to ever regain their original ascended forms. Sometime after this, Tarek, a Damasian exile, is sentenced to endure the Crown of Stone, a ceremony that demands a dishonored soldier ascend Mount Targon, known to all as a death sentence as mortals had never survived the climb. And while the Crown of Stone was traditionally used by the Dishonored to simply flee Demacia and make a new life in exile, Tarek decided to actually atone for his mistake and set out for the towering spire of Mount Targon. The ascent nearly claimed him, body and soul numerous times, but Tarek pushed past the test inflicted upon him by the mountain. As he approached the summit, Tarek was challenged by a seemingly never-ending myriad of conflicting realities, each warped existence offering a new horrifying vision, but he completed all of his trials. The Protector was impressed by Tarek's steadfast resolve, and the otherworldly being deemed the fallen Demacian hero a worthy avatar, imbuing him with its ethereal powers. The Protector spoke of the truths Tarek had known his entire life, and of the mantle that he had unknowingly been preparing for with every decision that brought him to the top of the mountain. As the Protector's whispers faded, Tarek received a final warning. He would stand as the shield of Valoran, but crashing against him would be a wave of howling madness, an ocean of gnashing teeth intent on consuming all, a squalid horror born of the void, reborn with power and purpose. Tarek gladly accepted the seemingly impossible challenge, and now dedicates himself to his sworn duty as the steadfast guardian of an entire world. At this point, the Solari who ruled Targon considered the Lunari heretics, driving them into hiding until most forgot the Lunari ever existed. The Lunari were left to the shadows, dwelling in temples and caves far from the Solari's sight. Around this time, and born during a rare lunar convergence, when the physical moon was eclipsed by its reflection in the spirit realm, Aphelios and his twin sister Alun were celebrated as children of destiny by those of Targon's Lunari faith. Desperate for purpose, Aphelios undertook a ceremonial journey into darkness, where Lunari were said to discover their paths, their orbits. He followed the moon's light to a pool where a rare noctum flowers bloomed beneath the water's surface. Though poisonous, the flowers could be distilled into a liquid that opened him to the night's power. Drinking the noctum's essence, Aphelios felt so much pain that it numbed him to everything else. Soon after, an ancient temple, the Marisol Magnum, began to come into phase from the spirit realm for the first time in centuries. Lunari from across the mountain gathered emerging from hiding to witness the balance of power shift as the celestial cycles in the heaven turned. The fortress accepted only one occupant gifted in magic each time it appeared. This time, it would be Alun, her orbit guiding her to the temple. Aphelios usually asked for nothing, requested to attend the event, but somehow the Lunari had been discovered. Even as the celestial cycles turned in their favor, an army of Solari descended upon them. All seemed lost, the Solari purging the Lunari heresy with fire and steel. Even Aphelios was beaten, his moonstone blade shattered on the ground. But as the battle raged, Alun reached the heart of the temple. From inside, amplified by the temple's focusing power, Alun was able to project her magic anywhere so long as it found a focus, like the noctum poison coursing through Aphelios' veins. Aphelios' skill and Alun's magic converged. With a whisper, she pushed the magic into his hands, a replacement for his blade solidifying into moonstone. And those Solari would not live to see the sun again. As her power flared, Alun pushed the temple and herself within back to the spirit realm, where it would remain safe from the Solari. Aphelios would become a conduit for the moon's power, constantly in pain due to the noctum poison. Alun would live alone, isolated in her fortress, but she would guide her brother. To protect the survivors of the attack who retreated back into the shadows of the mountain, Aphelios trained as an assassin, his blades now an arsenal of mystical weapons, perfected by Alun over the course of many missions together. Today, the power of Targon is shifting, and the Solari know the Lunari still endure.
Meanwhile, while witnessing the rise and fall of the god warriors, Aurelian's soul slowly accepted his fate. But soon after, the world was ravaged by a succession of sorcerous catastrophes, and Aurelian's soul finally knew that Targon and the hated aspects were all but defenseless. As he cautiously circled back, he realized the magic that bound him was weakening. Flecks of gold began to fall from his crown, each one blazing across the skies like a comet. Driven by the tantalizing possibilities of freedom and revenge, Aurelian's soul now regards Runeterra with simmering eternal fury. Surely, it is here, upon this world, that the cosmic balance will tip in his favor once more. And with it, the universe itself shall bear witness to the fate of those who dare steal the power of the Starforger. <laughs>